Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Can we say hi to everybody that's watching on a screen somewhere? Can you help me say hi to them? <clears throat> hey, guys, glad you can uh, join us. Awesome to be able to redeem technology, isn't it? That's a good thing. Before I get started, I want to let you know that we are getting ready in conjunction with a couple of other churches in town to have this incredible uh, discipleship training course. It's a phenomenal course. My son Luke has been through it, and it changed his life. There are some unbelievable communicators that are going to be part of this class. And if you want to grow in your faith and you just would like to, to just learn more about how to read the Bible and how to hear from God, how to pray, how to share your faith, those kinds of things, please stop by the table uh, in, in the atrium today so that you can get some more information on that. I, I just strongly encourage you, if you can do it, to be part of this class. It will be awesome. Uh, several years ago, I was a youth pastor in Missouri, and one of the gentlemen that was on the board of our church uh, had spent several decades in the Missouri State Highway Patrol. <clears throat> and he was a dear friend, and he was a masterful storyteller. And I loved for him to share stories about some of the experiences, the crazy stuff that he had, that he had uh, seen and been part of in his life uh, through that career. And uh, one of the things that he shared with me, though, and this was just kind of an interesting conversation that we had, was that because of what he did for a living, and some of you that do this will understand, he just was around death a lot. And he saw people breathing their last a lot. And, and one time in a conversation that we were having, he made this uh, comment to me. He said, you know, you can learn a lot about people by listening to what they say when they're dying. He said, you can tell if someone had a relationship with the Lord and loved God, or you can tell if someone was angry at God, and, and, and just listening to what they said would just make this very clear. And I was thinking about that this week because this is really what this whole series has been about that we've been walking through together for the last several weeks, where we've been unpacking the seven statements that Jesus made when he was on the cross. We can learn a lot about him, can't we? Because of the things that he said while he was on the cross. And, and kind of the notion behind this series has been that if, if Jesus would go through the extra effort to say something, that likely it would be very calculated and it would be an important statement. We need to know what he said and we need to understand why he said it. And so that's what this series has been about. And we talked too about how he would have had to just struggle to even breathe because that's what crucifixion was all about. In the end, you're asphyxiated. You can't breathe. And in the very end of the crucifixion process, we know this didn't happen for Jesus because he didn't have any bones broken, but they would break the legs of those that were on the cross so they could no longer push up and get their breath. So we've been thinking about these things that Jesus said. You remember the first thing that he said, he, he took that extra deep breath and, and he prayed a prayer uh, regarding the very people that were crucifying him and he said, Father, forgive them. Think about that. And then he had this amazing conversation with the criminal next to him on the cross. And this criminal asked him questions regarding salvation. And again, Jesus pushes up, gets that extra breath, and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And then last week, we unpacked this statement that he made where he addressed his mother and his very best friend. And in this challenge, he, he, he said to his mom, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to John, to this disciple, here is your mother. And now we've made it to the very center point, which I think is significant, of the seven statements that Jesus made. We've handled three. We're on the fourth one today, and there's three more to come. So this is the very center point, and I believe what we're going to talk about today truly is the very center point of what Jesus even endured on the cross. So if you have your Bibles or on your smartphones, your devices, turn to Mark chapter 15, verses 33 and 34. 
Historically, one of the most significant days in Jewish tradition uh, and the Jewish calendar, spiritual days, is Yom Kippur. Maybe you've heard that before. Yom Kippur is also known as the Day of Atonement. And if you like to look up things like this, write down Leviticus chapter 16 because that's where you'll find more detail surrounding Yom Kippur and the rules surrounding the Day of Atonement. But I just want to kind of give you a highlight of what Yom Kippur was all about because it, it very much applies in, and uh, has some implications for what we're talking about today. It was the one day on the Jewish calendar year where the high priest would go into the place known as the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. So it was tented off area that was uh, where Jesus, or where the presence of God resided. And this was a very significant day. As a matter of fact, there would be two goats that were part of this ceremony on the Day of Atonement, and they would cast lots. Sound familiar to what Jesus went through, right? They would cast lots to determine which of these goats would be for the sacrifice. And then the high priest would have to offer sacrifice for his own sins, because you don't go into the presence of God without your sins being atoned for, because God and sin don't go together. If the high priest didn't make atonement for his sins and he went into the Holy of Holies, dead, right there on the spot. So much so that it was part of their tradition to tie a rope onto the ankle of the high priest so if something happened when he went in, nobody else wanted to go in there, so they would drag him back out. They also had bells on the bottom of their priestly garments when they would go into the Holy of Holies, only so they would know the dude was still alive. If the bells stop, start pulling, right? So after the priest had gone into the, um, the Holy of Holies, because the whole idea surrounding the Day of Atonement was that they would be making sacrifice for and paying the price for the, the, the year's worth of sin that had happened preceding this event. And so after the priest would come out of the Holy of Holies, he would, uh, on the goat that won the draw, he would lay his hands on this goat and they would tie a scarlet uh, rope around its horns. And ceremonially, he would place the sins of the entire nation of Israel onto this goat and then they would walk together in procession to the gates of the city and they would shoo the goat out and no longer to be seen representing what happens when atonement has been made for our sins. They are gone to be heard of no more. So that's the whole story behind this and you might not know this but this is actually where the term scapegoat came from. Isn't that interesting? Well, why do I talk about this today? Because this is actually the perfect foreshadow of Jesus on the cross. Jesus is our scapegoat. He paid the price for us. As a matter of fact, that is exactly what the Apostle Paul says. And very quickly, I want to read to you Colossians chapter 2, verse 17. Just, just look at it on the screen. It says this, for these rules, talking about all these Old Testament customs and things that were part of these ceremonies, these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. What would the reality yet to come be? Look at the next sentence. And Christ himself is that reality. And we understand with you, when you look at kind of the theological significance of the Old Testament customs to make atonement for sin and the things that Jesus did, that the Old Testament practice was literally just a symbol of all that Jesus was going to do for us. So now let's jump into this fourth statement in Mark chapter 15, and we're going to look at verse 33 and 34 together. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock, 
And then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Can we pray together just for a second? Father, I really feel this weekend as though we're walking on some very sacred and holy ground. As your followers, we need to understand what was happening here. And I just ask God that in these next few moments that we have together, that you would speak to us, that you would bring to our mind a a clearer understanding of the sacrifice that you made, the price that you paid for us. Lord, that you would give us new understanding of the reality of the gospel and the good news. And Lord, that you would help every single one of us in this room today to embrace the true forgiveness that we can experience for the sin in our life. We love you, Father. Speak to us today in your name. Amen. I believe with all of my heart this being the central moment of these seven statements that this is the most intense saying from Jesus' time on the cross. It's been a really long and hard week for me as I've worked through this information to share with you because this is uh, so powerful and so intense and so meaningful. So I want to break this down phrase by phrase and show you some things that catch my attention so that hopefully you will understand some of what Jesus did on the cross differently now. Mark chapter 15, look at verse 33. It it says some details that maybe you missed. It said this, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. So for three hours, and listen, we know this, right? At noon, the sun is at its highest point, right? So it's very awkward, very weird. This is an interesting scene that takes place. While Christ is hanging on the cross, it goes completely dark, Someone once said it's almost as if the sun refused to allow light to be shown on such a deed of shame. Jesus suffers during these three hours of darkness, and it must have been a, just a crazy thing to see. And then all of a sudden, out of the depths of that darkness comes this anguished voice. It must have startled everyone there when Jesus, the abandoned Son of God, says these words, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And it's also really interesting to me to to notice that, that in this text, when we read it, the Greek narrative is not enough. Those words that I just spoke to you are in Aramaic. That would have been Jesus's native tongue. And for some reason, that continues to be to be what we read when we get to this story, as though the Greek words translated into English aren't enough. We need to experience and know what Jesus said, and and this is powerful. Eloi, Eloi, lemma sakbakthani, he yelled. What just happened in that moment? What is this all about? We don't want to miss this. Guys, listen to me, because it's at this very moment as Christ is hanging on the cross, that the weight of the sin of the world, my sin, your sin, was placed upon him. And the result of this is that the fellowship between God the Father and his Son is broken. The crushing weight of sin was put on Jesus and he experienced for the very first time separation from his heavenly Father. 
And as I was preparing my thoughts this week, trying to, to just figure out how in the world can I communicate well what took place in this moment, I just know this, guys, my words will fall very short. So instead of trying to describe it to you with my words, I just want you to quiet your heart in this moment, and I want you to listen to what Scripture says. Isaiah 53, 4. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. In Galatians chapter 3, it says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. For God made Christ who never sinned <clears throat> to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Have you ever had a moment where in your mind, in your heart, you just tried to imagine what hell would be like? It's in this moment that Jesus is on the cross when he screams out these words that we get a chance to see as scriptures describe what hell is like and its separation from our heavenly father. And what we, know, what we do know is this, that Jesus died our death for our sin. And he suffered our hell so we didn't have to. This is the incredible, incomprehensibly high spiritual cost of forgiveness and grace. Jesus, listen, was forsaken so you and I can be forgiven. Jesus came for us because we were dead in our sins. Jesus died on that cross. Please hear me because this is so misunderstood. Jesus died on the cross not to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. Very different. My main thought this weekend is this. I must accept that he paid for my sin in full. So let's look back again. Mark chapter 15, verse 34. So then at three o'clock, it says that Jesus cried out. And the words that scripture communicate there are these two words, with a loud voice. With a loud voice. That catches my eye because there's intensity with which Jesus makes this fourth statement from the cross. Imagine how much extra air that must have taken in his lungs to say what was on his heart. And if you look at these words, um, they, literally, they literally mean a passionate groan. Or even deeper than that, a guttural scream that came from Jesus that day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you study scriptures, you will see that when Jesus makes this statement from the cross and prays this prayer to his heavenly father, he's actually quoting directly from Psalm chapter 22, the prophetic psalm. Psalm 22.1 says this, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? 
I would encourage you to go back and read Psalm chapter 22 this week because it describes so very clearly what Jesus was going through on the cross. And then think about how many generations before Jesus lived that the psalmist wrote those very words. Something else captures my attention in this, uh, this declarative statement that Jesus made from the cross, and it's this, that he uses these words, my God, my God. It's significant. Jesus addresses the Father three times in these seven statements from the cross. In all of the statements except for this one, he calls him Father. Something very different is going on here. As a matter of fact, again, if you'd read through the New Testament Gospels, you'll see that we have record of 21 prayers, 21 times when Jesus is speaking to his heavenly Father. In all of those prayers, every single one of them except for this one, he calls him Father. In his brokenness, as he's quoting Psalm chapter 22, something is different, something has happened Every other of those petitions that he prayed, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And then remember when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, and he said, this is how you should pray, our Father, who art in heaven. The only time that he ever addressed God as God was in this moment when he was on the cross. And it was in this moment that, listen carefully, the relationship that existed between Jesus and God in this moment changed. And it was no longer simply paternal. It was in this moment that it turned and now it's judicial. Because he's paying your sentence. He's paying my sentence. The sentence for our sin is what was on the line and in this moment, the price for our sins was being paid in full. And that's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <clears throat> if you think about the English language for just a moment, you think about the word abandoned. You think about the word forsaken. Those are two very dark words, aren't they? Have you ever been abandoned? Have you ever been forsaken? And you, if you were to describe those those circumstances surrounding those moments in your life, I guarantee you they were some of your most difficult. But perhaps you've also been through some times where for whatever reason it felt like God had abandoned you. And that's a whole new level of low, isn't it? Those are dark moments when it feels like somehow God has just missed what's going on in our life. Those seasons are unbearable. And I don't want you to miss what's happening on the cross in this moment. Jesus is isolated from his heavenly father. Jesus experiences the loss of his heavenly father's favor and face. Because remember what I talked about earlier. God and sin can't go together, can they? If the high priest walked into the Holy of Holies without making atonement for his sin, he drops dead. So when the sin of the world is placed on his son, he has to turn his head from that. His presence needs to be removed. And so Jesus experiences the loss of the Father's face and favor, the loss of sense of his Father's love, his comfort, his presence, his joy, his hope, his peace. It was gone. Why? Why was it gone? Can I tell you why? Because of me. Because of me and my sin. And because of you. And your sin. 
This is a powerful moment when Jesus is on the cross and he's experiencing the, the, the thunder of divine judgment that was unleashed upon him. And he hung upon that cross as he took all of the punishment for the sin of the entire world, my sin and your sin. Because remember what scriptures tell us, the wages of sin is death. And he's paying that price for us. God had to turn his back on Jesus because God, who is completely holy and righteous, will not allow himself to look upon sin. So in this moment, when you, when you really fully experience and think about what Jesus is walking through, there's so much that we can clearly see here. You see, we see God's complete holiness. We see God's inflexible justice. Now let me just explain that to you real quick. Because this is his son. Can you imagine? Do you remember back into the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying and he calls out to his heavenly father using that word father again. Father, can you please take this cup from me? Knowing what he was going to have to face. And wouldn't it have been awesome if his heavenly father would have said, okay, look, we're going to change the rules. And so now, forever, if we could just have humanity have more good than bad, that seems a whole lot easier. But you see, this is part of the problem of our misunderstanding of the way that sin works. Sin, the wages of that sin is death. Not more good than bad. It doesn't work that way. Because if you're the heavenly father, wouldn't that be great to say, son, get up. I got a new plan. It's going to be a whole lot easier. But he didn't. His son had to go to the cross. So we see God's inflexible justice, and we also see God's hate for sin. But we also see on the other side of that coin the depths of God's love and the price that was paid so that you and I can know forgiveness and grace. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? These words of unequaled grief were both the fullest manifestation of divine love and the most awe-inspiring display of God's justice. In this moment, he was being made the penalty for our sin. Remember, he was bruised for our transgressions. His fellowship with the Father is broken in that moment. It's almost, if you could just imagine, this moment where Jesus would pull you and I, literally pull us and take us behind the cross. And he's standing there on that nail saying, get behind me because you won't ever have to face this. You will never have to face the wrath of God's anger towards sin because I'm taking it for you. You will never have to pay that price facing the full fury of what you deserve. You're not going to feel it a bit. Oh, I'm going to feel it. I'm going to take it for you. I'm going to pay the price. I'm standing in for you. And you and I must accept that he paid for our sin in full. And you see, the key to all of this is not just knowing this here, but beginning to experience it in our hearts so that it would change the way that we live, change the way that we see and understand all that was taking place. You see, God, God chooses to not rescue Jesus. Please listen to this. 
He chooses to not rescue Jesus so he can rescue you. The Heavenly Father does not answer his son's cry so that he can answer my cry and your cry. Jesus faces the wrath of God so you don't have to face his wrath. Jesus was made sin so that you and I could be righteous. Jesus was made a curse so that you and I would avoid the curse. He experienced distance from his Father so you and I can draw near. Jesus endured God's righteous anger against sin so we wouldn't have to face it. He faced death so we can live. That separation he faced so nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus died on that cross. Please know this, not to make bad people good, but to make dead people come alive. Why? Why would he ever do that? Why would he do all of this? Oh, I have the answer. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I must accept that he paid for my sin in full. Friends, listen, we have to know that what God was doing wasn't an accident. This wasn't a mistake. This was intentional. He chose to do this for you. And he chose to do this for me. As I've been working through these statements and um, spending time in this text that talks about Jesus on the cross, man, it's been really powerful for me. And I had this question that I think is an important one for us to answer. How in the world was Jesus ever able to walk through this for us? The brutality of what he experienced, the mistreatment and the insults and the, the ungodly beating and now hanging on a cross. How, how could he ever walk through all of that? How could he do that? And then I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 12 where the Hebrew writer said this, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Look at this, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. What was the shame? Our sin on him. The moment of separation from his heavenly father. And now it says he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Listen, I don't want you to miss something. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. What's the joy? What's the joy in that? Listen to me, friends. The joy is you. Knowing that you and I would have opportunity to be in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for eternity. That's the joy that kept him in that spot, that allowed him to walk through and endure what he did so that we, you and me, could experience forgiveness and closeness with the Heavenly Father that could never be taken away. You might have come here today feeling unloved. Please hear me today. 
How did Jesus endure the cross? How did he disregard the shame and the separation from his heavenly father? You. You were how it happened. In the toughest moments, he knew how desperately we needed this. So you and I are and always will be the joy set before him. And just like we talked about earlier, you see, we need a substitute to pay the penalty for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. He now becomes our permanent sacrifice and our permanent scapegoat. That, friends, is good. So in my study over the last couple of weeks, I came across the story from a missionary. His name was Henry Mabry. And he's written several books on the cross and the things that Jesus endured on the cross. Just the cross is amazing. And uh, he, in one of his books, he tells the story of, um, of being in front of this remote tribe somewhere that had never heard the gospel message before. And he's teaching what we have just been talking about today. And he, he walks through the desperate need of humanity because we've fallen so short of God's perfect standard. And, and he talked about Jesus who lived this perfect life and yet went to the cross to pay the price for us that we deserved. And when he got done telling the story of all that Jesus did, the chief of the village stood up and he said, will you please tell us one more time? And he said, of course, of course. And so he stood and he began to reiterate the story once again of all the things that Jesus had done for us and that it was us that had fallen so short and we needed someone to pay the price. And, and when he got to Jesus hanging on the cross again, the chief of the village stood up and said, stop, take Jesus off the cross because he doesn't deserve to be there. He said, I do. And you see, it was in that moment where all of the things that this missionary had been communicating now are beginning to become personal to him. And he's beginning to understand the reality of the cross. He understood the gospel message. The chief understood the good news, and he made it personal, just like you and I need to make it personal. That we must accept that he paid for my sin in full. Friends, please hear me. You see, Jesus isn't just the best way to get to heaven. He's the only way. Jesus is our only hope for eternity. He's plan A. Hear me, there's no plan B. It's him. It's what he did. And this is what separates the Christian faith from every other religious system. Salvation in Christianity is a gift. It's a gift that comes by grace through faith. All the others teach that somehow you have to earn it. You have to pay for it yourself. But not so with Jesus. See, it's different. So rather, we must accept that he paid for our sin. I believe with all of my heart, guys, that of all of the things that Jesus had to face, the beating and the mocking and the pulling of his beard, the crown in his head, being nailed to this cross, I think all of those things paled in significance. As awful as all of it was, the worst aspect of the crucifixion was this moment when he separated from his heavenly father. 
But because Jesus was willing to do this, you and I can rest assured that we never, we never have to be separated. Not even for one moment in our lives. So you see these things that we've been walking through that, that Jesus has said from the cross, they teach us so much, so much. And we can learn so much about his heart and the heart of our heavenly father too. But can I tell you what my biggest fear is? That after we walk through this, you'll understand it here, but not here. And that somehow there would be a minimization in our lives of sin. The penalty of sin. The price that must be paid. And that somehow we belittle this stuff and we minimize this stuff and we just brush it under the rug. Because here's what I believe. Because I've experienced this in my life The Lord speaks to us about things that need to be changing in our lives. And if we minimize the cross and we minimize the price that was paid, see, then we just don't take those things seriously. But rather today, it needs to move from something we understand here to now be something that's here. And it needs to change the way that we live. Because it's in this brief moment that we see a glimpse of what eternity separated from God looks like. And to me, and I hope you will agree, it looks very scary. But Jesus is our permanent scapegoat. Please hear me. You don't want to get this one wrong. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Perhaps there would be someone here today that hasn't made the decision to say yes to Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. And before I do, I want to read Romans chapter 10 that says this. This is how you do that. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess. You profess your faith and are saved. If you're here today and you would say, you know what, Doug, I'm pretty sure that I came today for this moment right now. And I've never made a personal decision to ask Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I've never done that. I've never accepted that what he did on the cross, man, it's personal. I don't want to pay that price. I don't want to have separation from the Heavenly Father. And if that's you, I've been praying for this moment. I've been praying that that you would just feel the Lord stirring in your heart right now and you'd say, Doug, that's me. And I'm gonna ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes, no one looking around. And if you would just raise your hand and look up here, if you would say, Doug, that's me. Will you pray with me today? I want you to know that I would be honored to pray with you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real quick so I can see you? I see you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? Thank you. Let me pray. Father, we realize and understand as we unpack this story the importance of accepting you as our Lord and Savior, accepting that what you did on the cross for us was intentional, and that today we need to say that we're sorry for the things that we've done that have fallen short of your perfect standard. And we need to know that that cross, what you did on that cross, it was for me. And so today I ask you to come into my life, to be the Lord of my life, and help me to understand what it means to follow you. 
And Father, I pray for the rest of us in the room today, perhaps made this decision years and years ago, and we find ourselves in a place where the story has become too commonplace, to where we don't understand, as we should, the significance and the reality of sin, and that somehow we've looked even flippantly at it. Lord, I just ask in this moment that you would speak to each and every one of us in this room and that you would help us once again to hear your voice. Lord, I pray for those that are watching online right now that you would, in their moment that they have right now in prayer with you, that you would speak to them, that you would challenge them to know exactly what it is that you've been calling us to address in our lives, that we wouldn't somehow cheapen the cross, that we wouldn't somehow cheapen grace by allowing things in our life that we know we need to deal with and we know we need to address. Father, will you give us the courage to be able to face these things, knowing that it's not in our strength, but it's in yours. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that as we've been walking through these things in this series, you've been teaching us about your heart for us, your heart for people. And you've been teaching us about the gospel, the good news that we need to live in full embrace of. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.